On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. When I was talking about the paleomammalian brain and the uh, and the neocortex, you know, you get into those situations where it's a yes, 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 no response. Yes, we like it. Yes, we we think it's fair price. Yes, we think it'd make a difference. No, we're not ready. Well, people get upset by that kind of response, and you know, they think, well, were they lying to me or not? Well, here's what was happening in that, Jess. And people have to go back to the first part to if they missed it to get the the fundamentals of this. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with John Bates. Uh, if you missed part one, please go back and hear about raising $80 million for his first startup and all his work, you know, all his speaking at TED and TEDx and for all sorts of other organizations. And um, John, before when we were ending part one, um, I was saying that one of the things I'd love to talk about here for part two um, is this idea of focusing on ourselves versus focusing on others. You know, I know you've done you've done trainings for for folks from Johnson Johnson and NASA and Accenture and IBM and Boston Scientific, all these great big companies, um, and and you obviously uh, advise all these different speakers with that type of an approach. Um, can you talk more about this this idea of essentially conquering our own anxiety? It sounds like almost through self forgetfulness, through being of service to others. Sure, you know I'll, I'll tell you there's there are two things. Uh, you know. I got this advice from Snoop Doggy Dog, but then I got that same that same advice from one of the greatest leadership trainers in the world, anywhere outside the military. And uh, Snoop Dogg said, "Don't be nervous, be at the service." And uh, the leadership trainer, Candice, she said, "John, if you get up on stage and you have your attention on yourself, then you have your attention on a minor ball of petty concerns that's of no real interest to anyone but you." Ouch, you know, like that hurts, but it's true. She said, if, however, you get up on stage and you have your attention on your audience and the difference that you're going to make for them and the difference they're going to make with the people in their lives because of it, well, now you have your attention on something worth thinking about. And, you know, that is just perfectly don't be nervous, be at their service. So one of the things that I train my speakers in, but it's also a tremendous leadership skill, as you said, is when you notice you're nervous about this speech, about the all hands meeting, about the board presentation, whatever it is, 
when you notice you're nervous, remember, nervous is all about you. And that's not why you're going to do this. You are not going to selfishly do this purely for yourself. You're going to do this because of the difference it makes. Otherwise, you wouldn't even take the risk it is to do public speaking. So get your attention on the message, on the audience, on the difference that you're intending to make here. And as you focus your attention off of yourself and onto that stuff, some of the nervousness goes out of your body, not all of it, but some of it. And then what's left over, we're now going to call excitement because it's no longer, you know, they're the same thing physiologically. So instead of calling it nervous, we're going to recontextualize it as excited. And now you go from being focused on yourself and nervous to focused on your audience and your message and being excited. And I'm telling you, there is a fundamental difference both for you as the speaker and for your audience. And if you take that to leadership, you know, there's so many opportunities to worry about yourself and be selfish and be worried about what people are thinking of you and am I doing this okay? And are they gonna think I'm weak or whatever? But if you can get your attention off of that stuff and really put your attention on what do they need from me? How can I support them? You know, what do I have to offer them right now that's going to make a difference for them? Where are they in, in their journey and their feelings and how is this for them? Boy, I'll tell you, it just fundamentally makes it easier to communicate with people and you become far more effective for everything from word choice to, to what you actually say. It's interesting to how that lack of nervousness actually makes us more magnetic. You know, I think you and I are obviously both members of corporate Alliance. And I think about, you know, that that's really been a great opportunity for our firm. We've, we've got, you know, connected with CEO of a billion dollar investment fund that became a client because of, of what we've done there and, you know, yeah. our, our other clients and, and, you know, it's like one of those other opportunities to like show up and think about what's in it for me and how do I get them or just any of like the natural self-focused type of thoughts that are, you know, you know, you don't have to work for, they come to you automatically. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, right. They're built. Yeah. And yet there's like nothing more likely to get people not to want to talk to me than if I'm trying to get them, you know? Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. And and I think about like when I am able to when I am able to um, stop thinking about what what could be in this for me, and to just like genuinely be of service no matter the result kind of thing. Like, yep. you know, even CEOs of billion dollar investment funds have have things. You know, they have they have different experience, and so um, in this case, there was some some things from my background that they were interested to know about. And when I was more than willing to share those in a non-transactional way, it turned into a real relationship, right? Yes. And yep. uh, it seems like, I, I don't know, it seems like there's, you know, probably, mo like you think about our work life, for instance, there's probably yeah. no situation where focusing on serving others is is a default. I mean, obviously, we, we know we need to take care of ourselves and our responsibilities, but it doesn't seem like there's a big fear of accidentally forgetting that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and importantly, that's built in. I mean, I think it's, I used to kind of beat myself up and beat other people up for being so selfish. But the point is, if if I'm not paying attention to myself, then I might forget to feed me or, you know, do do something else that was really important for me. But that's where I think the opportunity is, is that's built in and it needs to be built in. We need to be selfish so that we don't just starve or, you know, die of thirst because we forgot to drink some water. 
because we were so selfless. You or, know? or call it call like, it responsible, right? We need to be responsible yeah. for ourselves, right? Yes. And then there's the uh, then there's the whole next step of do you let it stop at just being responsible for you, yourself, or do you want to go to that next level of involvement and fulfillment where you could take responsibility not only for yourself but for those around you, you know, like, am I going to be responsible for my direct reports results? Like I could just say they're responsible for them, but at the end of the day, that is going to provide less value than if I say, look, I'm responsible for their results. What do they need from me? How can I amplify their results? What, how can I make them better? Because at the end of the day, I'm just saying, I'm deciding to take responsibility for their results so you know that puts me in a different frame of mind. Yeah, no kidding. Well, um, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and then I want to ask you about people who set the example for you in this, or, or you know, folks that you feel like are exceptional. Kind of this others others focused approach. Okay, so, <laughs> I screwed that up. The editor is going to have to fix this. Um, no, don't worry. Okay, so John. Um, just before the sponsor break, I was saying I wanted to ask you about folks that you feel like have set an example for you or, or people that you feel like are able to have this others focus and kind of generosity as a competitive advantage type of approach. Yeah, boy. So who I mean, I've experienced a lot of people like that in my life. One of them is a guy named R.B. Hackenberg, who was the guy that I hired to be my boss at BigWords.com. And you know, he he is somebody that I think has been, you know, what I would call a genuine success. He may not have more money than some people. He may not have more accolades than some people, but he has been successful both financially and, for lack of a better word, spiritually, uh, you know, has a great family, has great relationships, is a really wonderful, loving guy, and also very successful in business, super smart, you know, very capable, et cetera. And he is, you know, he was one of the first examples um, or one of the brightest examples in my world of someone who just, he just loves people. And that would be the thing that would drive how he dealt with the world. And so he might go, you know, whereas I would be tempted to show up to an event a little bit late and maybe leave a little early because I got so much to do. He would actually go a little bit early so that he could actually talk to people and meet people and then stay a little longer just to talk to people. And he wouldn't talk to them about himself. He would ask them about themselves and he would come away knowing a whole bunch about the people that he met at that event because he was just genuinely interested in them. And, you know, he's still around. That's still how he is today. We're still in touch. And, and he definitely taught me a lot about being others focused. He was one of the people who really made a big impression on me like that. Yeah. Do you remember any stories or is there any examples that come to mind? Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, what really comes to mind right away is the first time that I actually sat down with him because I, was in the internet industry and um i was pretty young at the time i was in my early 30s i think and uh he was he was what he called himself the old guy in new media and uh he had a bunch of things under his belt already he had worked at shy a day he had come up with the uh you know um 
loyalty awards program for United Airlines, which was, I think, the first airline loyalty rewards program, and it set this set the stage for all the other loyalty rewards programs. And so, you know, he was just a really brilliant guy, very famous and well known among our community. And I sent him an email and just said, "Hey, would you mind meeting me for lunch? I'd just love to talk with you." And I'm a nobody. I was really a nobody in in that world at that point. But he took time to come sit down with me. We had lunch. Apparently, he had a dog who had just died, and he, you know, was willing to share that with me because I had a dog at the time named Milo, and、uh, he was just super open and really sweet to me. And at the end of the of our conversation, I said, "You know, R.B." My dad is a great guy, but he doesn't know this industry at all, and so he's been a great mentor to me and a great father. But I wonder if you would be willing to mentor me some, because you've got direct insight into our business and what we do in this whole community. And he said, "Well, John, you know, gosh, I mean, I would be, I'd be happy to do that. I imagine you have more to teach me than I have to teach you, but I'd be happy to to do that." And then he went out of his way to just meet with me. Whenever I asked him and give me his insights, and then it turned out several years later that I asked him to come be my boss at BigWords.com, and、uh, you know he was at the root of pretty much everything we did successfully,、uh, you know, till we ended up going out of business in the dot-com crash.、Um, so you know, just his just his generosity of of person with his time and and his generosity of being with people. You know that was one very specific instance where I got to be at the be the recipient of that, and then I saw him do that with you know countless other people, both inside our company and outside our company, and just make a really big difference. That's great. That's a great story.、Um, being being a big fan of stories myself,、uh, and、yeah. anything that comes to mind from your work with some of these you know really notable organizations, NASA, IBM, Johnson Johnson, Boston Scientific. Any any just observations or stories from that work? Yeah, let me blast through a few.、Um, so one、yeah. one is Dolph Lundgren is super successful in large part because he is so amazingly coachable. Once he trusts you as a coach, he is super coachable. And I think being coachable and finding a great coach is one of the absolute secrets to life. It's certainly what changed my life, just completely turned my life around.、Uh, I think that、um, having a personal story is, as a leader, is probably like a well-told personal story about why you care about what you do and what connects you to your work, what connects you emotionally and from the heart to your work. That is probably one of the most important factors that I've seen consistently with great leaders is that they all have great stories like that, and they're in touch with them and they share them.、Uh, and then I have a really quick story for you about what the final test to become an astronaut, because I think it's absolutely crucial not just to becoming an astronaut, but for businesses, particularly startups. Should I tell you that one? Absolutely. Okay, so the final test to become an astronaut. When I was working with, I've done a lot of work with NASA, and I was working with NASA a couple years ago. And two of the astronauts came up to me, and they said, "You know, John, would you like to know the final test to become an astronaut?" After my training, so they they could obviously see that this would somehow appeal to me. And I said, "Well, of course I want to know." And they're like, "Are you kidding? Of course." So they said, "Well, okay, 
to become an astronaut, you got to pass all these tests, you know, mental tests and physical tests and comprehension tests and everything. And so you end up with this big binder full of all the tests that you have passed. And it's kind of your, you know, test binder. And the final test to become an astronaut, you grab that binder and you go upstairs to the astronaut conference room and you knock on the door. And as the door opens, you look in and there sitting around the big, huge conference table are all of the active astronauts. And so you step in with your big binder of stuff and tests you've passed and they take that binder from you and they throw it on a side table and they invite you to sit down. And then you sit down with all the astronauts and you talk for about an hour. And then they say, okay, well, time to go. And they give you your binder back. And as they show you out the door, as that door closes behind you, all of the astronauts now talk about whether or not they like you. <laughs> and even enough, and even more importantly than do they like you, do they think you are likable? Because you are gonna be on the space station, not only with them, but you're gonna be cramped into really tight quarters with people from all over the world at the International Space Station. Heaven knows where they might go with you on a mission in the future or what, you know, how close quarters they might be cramped with you for how long. So the final test after you do everything else that you need to do to become an astronaut, the final test is, are you likable? And I got to tell you, Jess, I think it is one of the most important and perhaps not talked about enough tests for hiring people, especially at startups, but anywhere that you want to get stuff done with people. Are your people likable? Is this new person you're bringing in with all those credentials, are they actually likable too? You know, it's interesting because we love to think of ourselves as such rational beings and we like to think that if people can get the work done, that's what matters so much, right? Yep. yep think about yep. everything we're trying to get done at work and other places, you know, typically it almost always requires cooperation from some other human, right? I, you know, tell me where it doesn't, right? Yeah. It, it's funny how, um, you know, the, the nature of not asking that question, you know, people get a sense of that anyways, but not explicitly yeah. hiring for it. You yeah. probably don't explicitly receive it, right? Yep. Yeah. So now, Jess, can I make a callback to the first half of this thing? Yeah, yeah. So when I was talking about the paleomammalian brain and the, uh, and the neocortex, you know, you get into those situations where it's a yes, 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 no response. Yes, we like it. Yes, we, we think it's fair price. Yes, we think it would make a difference. No, we're not ready. Well, people get upset by that kind of response. And, you know, they think, well, were they lying to me or not? Well, here's what was happening in that, Jess. And people have to go back to the first part to, if they missed it to get the, the fundamentals of this. But what's happening is yes, 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 no. Okay, here's what's happening. Logic, 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 emotion. The logical brain wanted it. The new neocortex was like, yeah, this product's awesome. Let's get it. Everything lines up. It's logical. But because we didn't put the emotional brain at ease with some sort of an emotional connection, which again, doesn't have to be singing Kumbaya, it could just be, hey, you like dogs? I like dogs. Look, here's my dog. Let's see your dog. Oh, they're so cute. Oh, great. Well, now we're part of the dog lovers tribe and we don't have to kill each other. So we could get down to business because the paleo mammalian ancient brain can relax now. So 
you know, that yes, 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 no, that's logic, 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 emotion. And the way that you actually drive action and get people to take action is by making a connection with the emotional brain. And then all of your logic will matter. You know, um, it's funny when you hear things that are true show up with different words in different places. Um, yeah. You know, at Mylan, we've got a one of our senior consultants is a guy who spent 22 years with the FBI. He was a hostage negotiator. He did counterintelligence work, you know, cool guy stuff. Wow. And I read a book by someone like that recently. It's fabulous. Uh, did you read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the guy who works for us, they actually worked, you know, they were there at the same time. And uh, that's cool. Each other. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Voss actually says it so well when he's talking about, you know, um, if you can't get their emotions to settle down, you can't reason with them, right? Yeah, and that's so, right. Like, if you that's can't right. build some build some rapport and and like kind of get that adrenaline and cortisol out of the bloodstream, it's pretty hard to have a rational conversation. And yet, when we meet people for the first time, we're so worried about how we appear. Guess what? They're probably worried about if they're approved. You know, and like I, you know, you're absolutely right, Jess. Yeah. Well, listen, appreciate you know, No, go, go ahead. What were you going to say? Sorry. All I was going to say is that's one of the assignments I give some of the executives I work with is, you know, from now on, whenever you go into a room with other people in it, I want you to purposefully stop for a minute, leave your fear of what they think of you outside the door. And when you go into that room, your only goal is to put everybody you interact with at ease because they're all just as scared of what you think of them. So if everybody's scared of what everybody else thinks of them, let's just divide by that and get rid of it, you know? Yeah, what's funny is there's, there's probably few things more likely to get us accepted by them than accepting them first, right? You're absolutely right, you're absolutely right. And, and it's tough to remember in the, in the heat of the moment, you know, especially when you're hanging out with people who technically might outrank you or that you think are smarter than you or better than you or, you know, make more money than you or more successful than you. But gosh, like when do they ever get to hang out with somebody who just is interested in them and wants to put them at ease Yeah, instead, instead of, of in, what they can use them for, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I love it. Well, listen, um, I feel like we cover a lot of great subjects, but maybe to close out, um, what's something that we didn't cover that you're really passionate about or what's what's maybe a final piece of advice or something that that you would want to share and then then we'll tell everybody to come to your website and connect with you on social okay let's see one other thing that we didn't talk about um gee you kind of got me stumped here we we did pretty well yeah I, I think what i might do jess is is reiterate the value of actually okay here we go this is a this is another aspect of human neurobiology in the first part we talked about the paleomammalian brain and then the uh, neocortex and the dichotomy that sets up there's one other major piece of this that really makes a huge difference in public speaking and again it makes an enormous difference in leadership and that's called mirror neurons Recently, someone got a Nobel Prize for their work on this. And basically what mirror neurons are, are neurons that we have that fire in us when we see other people going through something or taking a conscious action or something like that. So if I were here 
on a cooking show and you could see me and I had big purple carrots and a butcher knife and I was chopping up the purple carrots and ah, ah, all of a sudden I cut my finger. Just hearing that, you're like, ouch, right? I don't even have a butcher knife or purple carrots. I mean, this is, you're just even hearing me, but that happens because you have mirror neurons. So, you know, we mirror what we see go on with other people. Now, how that applies is that I don't think people take into account enough that other people are always mirroring you. They're always mirroring you. When you walk in the room and everybody turns to look at you, oh, now they're mirroring you. When you raise your hand to speak, they're mirroring you. When you're up on stage speaking, they're mirroring you. If you're the head of the hierarchy, if you're the CEO, they are always mirroring you. Whether you're around or not, they're mirroring you. So you get what you put out. And uh, if you take responsibility for that and you start giving people something good to mirror all the time, it will have a profound effect on your results as a speaker, as a leader in your relationships with your kids, with your wife, with your husband, with whoever. If you are always conscious of the fact that they are mirroring you, it's kind of like those those grumpy people that think everyone's grumpy. Well, <laughs> We're everyone's not grumpy. We're just grumpy when they show up because we're mirroring them. And then the minute they leave, everybody's fine again, right? So to really take on that other people are always mirroring you and to be conscious and cognizant of what are you giving them? Are you giving them something good to mirror all the time? That is a that is just a an enormous key to success on stage and success as a leader. Love it. Well. Thanks again for spending time with us. Obviously, people encourage them to go check out executivespeakingsuccess.com and connect with you on Facebook and Twitter and everything else you got on here. Yeah, that's fabulous. There's links to some short videos. Got a lot of free content out there. So people want more of this kind of stuff. It's there. Love it. Okay, thanks again. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate it. You bet. Bye.